Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're listening to the Tour Coach Podcast, giving you insights into golf instruction at the highest level from on the PGA Tour to our learning center at Frederica Golf Club. Sitting here on the Tour Coach Podcast, I've been excited to have this guest come on, legendary golf instructor, golf coach from across the pond. He's Sitting in isolation right now, Mr. Pete Callen. Pete, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to sit in with me. And my brain is still a pretzel from all the things you told me there at the Caddyshack outside of Augusta National in November. So we've got some good stuff to talk about. Yeah, well, morning to you. And it's only it's afternoon here, but morning to you. Yeah, we did spend a little bit of time talking there at Augusta. And, uh, yeah, I fried, I fried a few people's brains, not just yours. <laughs> I, I, I'm still going, still talking about that stuff, still trying to figure it all out. And so obviously you've taught so many of the great players in the game, and not just over there in Europe, but you know, obviously you've helped Brooks Kepka a good bit from over here. I'm curious, I touched on this before we came on, there was an article that came out or you'd made some comments about one of your longtime students, Henrik Stenson, and about, you know, kind of how players have the, you know, they – I guess the way they're wired, they can chase perfection and, and sometimes get away from some of the fundamentals and some of the things that have made them great. I'd love if you wouldn't mind to touch on that a bit because I think that's fascinating. I've got, I told you, I've got some players that I think do that, that I've gone down that road with where they get to the PGA Tour and they're obviously really good or they wouldn't get there. And yet there's this kind of pressure to change who they are or what they do to keep getting better. And it seems like quite often they get lost when doing that. Yeah, I mean, Henrik's always been a bit of a perfectionist, really. I mean, uh, I've taught him for over 20 years now, and he's been in the doldrums two or three times during those 20 years. And uh, trying to get him out of that uh, really is going back to basics and making sure they do the right things correctly, you know, the simple things. uh, And they always think it's a lot more complicated than it is. And I always say, that, well, there's only three things you've got to get right. You've got to start the ball online with the correct flight and the correct spin. So find out how you're going to do that, and you know, then you'll be able to play golf. And if you can do that, don't put, because there isn't much else to be done. So the correct start line really comes down to your fundamentals. The, the ball flight really is getting your path pretty correct. And then the spin control is how you apply pressure to the ball to get spin control. So, yeah, it, and, and everybody thinks it's more complicated than that, but it isn't really. I love that. And, you know, one thing I would like you to talk about, or you talk about some qualities or from your experience, how do you see the best players do those three things? Or what, what are some of the most or the ways that they're really good at accomplishing those three things? And one thing that I see in really good players is how stable the club face is and how long it's stable through there. And I know that's a little bit of some of the things we touched on in Augusta, but I would love to hear your thoughts on what these great ball strikers do to be able to start it online, control it, control trajectory in the spin. What are what are some of your thoughts on that? Well, as you said, when we were talking about it uh, down at, uh, at Augusta, and I was saying to players, well, do you realize, you know, or do you understand how to stabilize the face in a three-dimensional movement? And it's always equal and opposite. And so I said, well, all you've got to do is get the equal and opposite pressure in your hands movements, especially putting, you know. So putting, you've got left hand facing, right hand, and it's provided the pressure's equal between the hands. You can keep the club out stable. The difficulty then is obviously in the golf swing when it's a three-dimensional movement, the putting's much more two-dimensional. 
and how you're going to stabilize the face in that three-dimensional movement up and around the uh, the arc of the swing and, and I call it the spiral staircase, you know, how you're going to actually move it up the staircase with a square club face relative to the hand positions. And of course, uh, how finger pressure is massive in that, how you oppose the finger pressure throughout the swing in the backswing and maintain that finger pressure all the way through to the finish. And it stops manipulation of the face with the hands. So that's one thing that we talk about an awful lot. And that obviously with stabilizing the face, it's, it's much easier then to just work on the path to shape your shots, really. Once you've got one consistent position of the club face, then you've got, all you've got to do is work on the path. And that really is alignment to the body. Exactly. I mean, it's great stuff. Talk a little bit about the spiral staircase, if you don't mind. This is this was one of the paths that we started down at Augusta where my mind started pretzeling, but I would love to hear more about it, and I'd love to hear you explain a little bit, because it's a fascinating, to me, it was a very interesting, I, I think some of the things that I've taught and heard before touched on it, but I never heard it described such such as this. Yeah, well, uh, I've always called it a spiral staircase, and the trademark, I've got a trademark called spiral staircase, in relation to the golf swing. So it's trademarked, really, that, and it's been trademarked for mm, nearly 30 years. And believing how to actually move the weight from the ground up throughout the body. I mean, the quickest way of getting from the ground floor to the first floor is a vertical. The second quickest way is a spiral, as you see the spiral staircase as you go up. Mm-hmm. It's a, a round and up. And so to get coil, to get real coil in your body, you have to really use the spiral movement. And probably most of your, you know, your your listeners will know that everything in in life is virtually spiral. Your DNA, you grow in the womb spiral. Your trees grow spiral. Your grass grows spiral. Everything grows spiral. Your your muscles, your bones, and so you, everything is naturally spiral. So if you can spiral your body correctly, your muscle structure correctly then you're going to prevent injury. And I know from my experience, I slipped a disc when I was in my 20s and I was out for two years. And then I had to you know, try and find out why I slipped that disc because of poor technique. And then to try and understand how I was not going to you know, injure it anymore during the rest of my career. So I studied that quite a lot. And, and then I found that the best way to actually get the club around the nut is through a spiral movement. That's really... M- spiraling your muscle structure so uh, we do exercises really to get that spiral in the body because i believe that if i started all over again i would do it totally differently i would uh, and i talk about it quite often because it's muscle structure and that's why i could say it's muscle structure during the spiral and well think about it logically every golf shot takes about one and a half seconds so you're only moving your muscle structure for about one and a half seconds during every golf swing and when I said to a player as well, how many full shots do you hit in a round of golf? And uh, a good player will probably hit 40 maximum, not chips and putts, but 40 maximum right. full shots. So when you hit 40 full shots, you only done 40 multiplied by one and a half seconds, which is 60 seconds. You actually physically, only done physical work, you know, relating to one minute's work with your physical in a round of golf that's probably taking you four and a half, five hours. And then I always say, well, how many really good shots did you hit? And they'll say six or seven. And I said, well, it's 10 seconds good work and 50 seconds not so good. So how does your mind know? <laughs> how does your mind know which is, you know, correct? So it's obviously the incorrect is much stronger in your mind than the correct movement. So then you probably go out and hit 400 balls, which nobody does. But let's pretend we hit 400 balls every afternoon, which would take you between four or five hours to do that. 
multiply 400 by one and a half seconds and that's 600 seconds so that's 10 minutes so then I ask everybody how many good shots did you hit how many bad shots and they always say well I hit half good half bad so I said well that's 50% good and 50% bad which does the brain know is the correct movement you're confusing it you've got 50% not good 50% good so the sometimes it'll give you all good during around the golf and then all of a sudden when the pressure's on it gives you one of the other 50%. So everybody says, well, I was playing so well, and then all of a sudden I hit this shot out of the blue that came from nowhere. I said, well, that's, again, the brain remembering the movement incorrectly. Mm-hmm. So we don't, we don't train the brain well enough. That's the Agreed. problem. We don't train the brain well enough with the correct muscle structure movement. So if, we, if, if you said to an Olympic athlete, right, you know, a golfer who's gone out and played around the golf every morning and he's at 400 shots in the afternoon, which will take him all day, 10 hours. And he turns around and he says, well, you've actually physically, only done physically 11 minutes work during that 10 hours that you've done. And then if you turn to an Olympic athlete and said, I'm going to be the best golfer in the world by working 11 minutes on my body movement, they'd laugh at you. <laughs> they would right. really laugh at you. But that's, that's it. In theory, that, I mean, that's what we're doing. We think about it a lot and we, you know, we drill this and we drill that and we drill the other, but we never get the important part right, which is the body movement is the engine of the golf swing. If your engine's moving correctly, the game is a lot, lot easier. Yes. I have found in my teaching, and I think it goes along with what you're saying, that it's been much easier to help players learn the new movement or improved movements with things away from the golf ball, like using resistant bands and different things in a gym and exercises where they're away from the golf ball, not hitting. That would kind of make sense along the lines of what you're talking. I mean, if they're just trying to do it while they're actively hitting the ball at full speed, it's it's much more difficult to make a change. Yeah, of course it is. Very difficult. It's very difficult. And I always say, well, and when people say, well, explain that to me. And I say, well, the golf swing is, is very much like a car. Right, a car. If I wanted to win every race, then I would want the best engine in the world. I'd want the best steering. I'd want the best driver and the best fuel. And hopefully, when I've got those four things, I'll win every race. But I don't. And there's a reason for that. Sometimes is the transmission that transfers the energy from the engine to the steering is flawed. So I don't get the correct energy from the engine to the steering at the right time, and it actually doesn't drive as well as it should do because the transmission or the linkage between the engine and the steering is, is flawed. So I could, I could have four perfect component parts, the engine, the steering, the driver, and the fuel, but if the transmission or the linkage between those things is flawed, then I'm still not going to win. And the golf mm-hmm. swing is very similar. The engine is your body movement, the steering is your arm hand and club movement, and your fuel and the driver is your brain. So hopefully your brain's, you know, thinking quite, thinking well, and, and it's, it's transferring. But then you look at that and you say, well, I've got a golfer. He's got great body action. He's got great arm and club movement. He's got the right brain to provide the fuel and the power to it. But the ball doesn't go where I want it to. And again, that's because the linkage or the transmission is flawed. And the trans- transmission in the golf swing, if you think about it logically, what transfers the energy from your body movement, you created all this energy in the body and transferring it to the direction, which is the arm and club movement, it has to be the shoulder muscle structure. So understanding the shoulder muscle structure of how to transfer that energy, you know, to the steering is very, very important. So the linkage in the golf swing is your shoulders. And okay. years ago, years ago, Ledbetter tried to do that by putting towels under his arm, the swing link thing. And uh, that was okay. 
But what they did is they tied the shoulders into the body and never loaded the shoulders. I mean, that's like a boxer trying to box without loading his arm to punch. You know, it mm-hmm. was restriction. And it was all right for chipping or pitching, but it was no good for hitting it, you know, 300 yards. And that's why Faldo could only hit it probably 260, 270 at his best. You know, a bloke that was six foot four, and he hit it nowhere, really. He's a big boy, yeah. yeah. So, really, load the shoulders properly. And then when I ask the question to a lot of players, right, how do you load your shoulders for a fade? How do you load your shoulders for a, a, a draw? They look at you. Well, it's a muscle structure. It's like throwing. If throwing underarm, it's a different muscle structure to throwing overarm. So it's a different mm-hmm. structure. Making the correct movement in the shoulders determines whether your path of your club face can be moved left easily or to the right easily. So transferring that energy from the engine to the steering with the correct muscle loading and muscle unloading, it's really, really important. How do you train somebody to load the correct muscle structure for, say, like a draw? Tony, the best way of describing it is if, if you're a right-handed player and your lead arm, your lead arm, obviously, your left arm, if you think about swinging it left arm, how would you unload that left shoulder to turn the club down to get the path to go in to out? You wouldn't move the left shoulder across, would you? No, no. You'd turn, you'd turn the muscle structure in the left shoulder down to get the club in a delivery position that is a path from the inside. Correct. Okay. So how you load it on the backswing determines how easy it's going to be to unload on the downswing. And the same thing if your lead arm, so always look at your lead arm, it's so important. If your lead arm loads on the backswing, you think about how you're going to hit a cut with your muscle structure in your lead arm to hit a cut. You open up and let the shoulder go down, don't you? And the, the path yes. then goes down and across. So I get a full face, I get a full face fade delivered. Full face, not a drag fade. Right. Which is what happens to a lot of folks when they try to hit fades and try to do Correct. it. They, yeah. they yeah, hit they, white, they wipey, swipey fades. Yeah, they do. And, and it's, it starts right and cuts away from it. You know, fades got to start left. Mm-hmm. So no, muscle, structure, muscle structure in the shoulders. And think about it in the, in the right arm as well. If you're a right-handed player in your right arm, how are you going to load that right shoulder? Swinging one arm. How are you going to load that right shoulder so that you can turn your shoulder down and the club delivery down you wouldn't move the shot right shoulder across her. You'd turn the muscle down to get the club in the delivery to hit the shot. So unless your muscle structure knows what you're doing, you're guessing with your hands how to hit the draw on a fade. Yeah, it makes total sense when you start thinking about it in terms of that. I just had well, never necessarily thought about it in terms of the shoulders being the linkage and how to load the shoulders based on the path that you're trying to do. Well, we've, all, we've, we've always done it, you know, because, as I said, everybody went into that you know, towels under their arm to try and connect their arms to the body. Everybody's trying to connect their arm and club movement to the, to the body, aren't they? Everybody's trying to do that. You know, that's the holy grail, connect that to it. But it's got to be powerful as well. It has to be powerful, especially these days. And if you watch Bryson, he loads his shoulders so high and he locks them down and then he stretches up, which is all he, where all his power comes from. Fascinating. Yeah. So if you don't load your shoulders for power movement, you'll not create the power just with your body because you've got to actually transfer the power eventually. So the shoulders of the linkage, like you said, they help transfer the power or the energy that you load and create in the backswing. Well, into your well if you, again, if you think about you, and you taught many people to stand there with the feet together. You? Right. So, so you're negating the body a little bit. So how are you going to get any power into your arms, you know, and your club? Well, if you think about it, it's how you punch. You would punch with your shoulder muscle structure, wouldn't you? 
Right. So if you're going if you're going to swing with your feet together, you've got to transfer that energy to the arm and the club. And the only way you're going to do it is with your lats and your shoulder muscle structure to transfer that energy. Exactly. No, it makes total sense when you. It's just you. Like I said, when I joked that my mind was in a pretzel. To me, it's you know I, I love the thought and the idea of it being the linkage. You know that yeah. makes sense to me because because like I think we've all watched folks. Not just tour events like good college players or mini tour players where you see a guy where like on video and you watch it and it looks really good. It's hard to figure out why the guy can't control his golf ball. I mean, you know, there's just not a lot to pick out there. No, you can't can't actually see it because you'd have to have all the sensors on the, the muscles within your shoulder muscle. But when you train them, you can see it straight away. So I want, that's why I always say like you're trying to fade it with a draw muscle structure. And that's the double cross. And the worst, the only bad shot in golf is a double cross. And they say, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, you're actually, your muscles are actually moving the club into a draw position to try and fade it, which is... And that, you know, that will work. Double, that's a mismatch. Which a, yeah, total mismatch. A double cross. Total double yeah. cross. So with these thoughts and your ideas there, when a new player comes to you, obviously obviously a great player's recently come to you. It broke yesterday that you, you're helping or starting to help Rory. Like, but when a when a tour player comes to you, and where do you look first, and where do you start? I'm always curious with great teachers, and obviously you're one of the greats of all time. Like, because I, you know, I have new players come to me on occasion, and I just, you know, I like to pick your brain and and learn, and you know, where do you start with that player? What what are the things that you're looking at first when well, somebody like Rory comes to you? Obviously, there's a problem there when they come to you, so you have to actually <laughs> diagnose diagnose the problem. What is the problem? Is it a double cross? Is it a particular shot that you can't hit? Is it you know something that you're worried about you know during your swing? And then you look at how the body's structured and how that transfer of energy you know from that body, because it can be just the body out of position as well that dictates that you can't get your muscle structure in the right place. So, again, loading the body spirally for me is really, really important because without that, it's a turn and a turn, and a turn and a turn doesn't allow you to get the club down. Now, so when you evaluate a player like this, I know there's so much technology out there now. Do you use a lot of technology to help you evaluate that, or is that just something from your years of experience and your eye? And, I mean, as great as you are, you just you kind of can see all that without and How do you go well, about that? Luckily, uh, Ooh, twenty much nearly twenty years ago now, two thousand and three. <laughs> Klaus, who owns Trackman, came to me in two thousand and three and said, "I want you to have a look at this, you know, machine I've got for, you know, ball flight laws." And I said, "Well, fine." And I'd been arguing with the PG of of uh, Britain for years that your ball flight laws. Are, no, no, they're not. They're not. They're not. I said, "Well, I know for a fact. You know, I know for a fact they are, but I can't prove it." I said, and then all of a sudden, Trackman came along and suddenly said, right, the path, the path is much more important than the face in relative terms of spin control. So, you know, everybody used to think that the club face spun it and the path started it. And we now know it's totally, I couldn't prove it until then. So I have used Trackman since 2003, really, so an awful long time. But I use it sparingly. I like to use it, you know, to test players. You know, his distance control and all that. But, uh, first of all, obviously, path, club face, very important. Just the basic stuff, looking at it and seeing what we've got with the player, and then we can take it from there. So it's just reading, reading the numbers and saying, right, this is what we can see here. How are we going to actually 
you know, improve that? How are we going to change that? How are we going to get that movement a lot better? So, yes, I do use TrackMan. We obviously, video was the biggest improvement in coaching all those years ago. Um, and now with the, all the iPhones, it's it's easy, isn't it? I think it makes it easier for coaching folks as well as, you know, I remember when I took my first real serious golf lessons and went off, and then I'd go off to college and, you know, I was a okay player and really wanted to be good, but I don't know that I knew how. And, uh, but like when I left the lesson, I mean, I was on my own. There was no, you know, I couldn't go, you know, you, you couldn't send a video back then. And you think now how much easier it is now for folks that really want to get better because the ability to video themselves, I mean, your guys can send you a video back home in the cave from over here and you're able to look at it and, and help keep them on track. It's got, it's to me, it's significantly easier to help coach and monitor players than it used to be. Oh, it's definitely, definitely is. I'm no doubt about that. But there's also what I do with players. I give them physical exercises to do. I do about 12, there's 12 specific exercises I get them to do to make the body move an awful lot better. But my coaching became better when I started to understand muscle structure and how the body moved, really. It moved it on from just swinging into out, out to in, and, you know, standing left, standing right, and all that. But the, the muscle structure change was massive for me. And then I added to that, because I, I got the spiral body movement correct for 20-odd years, but the one thing I missed was how the shoulders spiraled as well in the backswing as well. How did you figure that out? How did you stumble upon that or get driven to figure that part of it out? Well, doing my own, you know, I always go and do my own research and development on on myself because I was a decent player. And so I would always go out and I learned much more about golf swing in bunkers than ever. And, of course, I found out the the, we're throwing the sand over the shoulder in in the bunker, spiraled my shoulders correctly. And I, it took me a while to figure that out. Why is that so good when I'm throwing the sand over my right shoulder and throwing it back over my left shoulder? And it was really how the shoulders worked in a spiral sense on the backswing, on the through swing, that all of a sudden I said that that's what's missing in, in the long game as well. So it was, you know, it was it was in the bunker that I found that out, really. Wow, that's fascinating. The future of coaching, that you, so you see tons of new coaches out there do you think with all the technology that coaching and teaching is getting better now, or is it the same? Do you think technology is helping that? I'm just curious your thoughts. Well, I get, I'll get several young folks that want to come and observe, and more, it seems like more and more, you know, more, there's more and more teachers out there aspiring to do what you do. Curious on your thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, I think uh, coaching obviously is getting better and better, and it's got to. I mean, you know, as, a, as a coach, Sometimes you get called a crank because you actually move off the norm. You actually, you move off, you don't, you don't go down, you know, normal paths. You go down a slightly right. different avenue, which is what I did with the spiral staircase and others. And then all of a sudden your players win tournaments and suddenly everybody says, well, they must be doing something right. Uh, instead of being <laughs> called a crank, you're called innovative. You know, <laughs> it goes from crank to being innovative. And that's why I like, you know, people like Genkis, who is innovative. You know, I, yeah. I like that. I like talking to him because, he, you know, he, he's new. He's, and there's got to be innovation to improve. So all these new young coaches have got to go out and find that innovation and say, right, you know, what really works. But with me going in the bunker, if it doesn't work for 21 days in a row, I discard it. And I've discarded <laughs> an awful lot. So I've gone, 
I've gone fail, 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 fail. And then sometimes, you know, all right, that succeeds. And does it succeed, succeed? And if it keeps going, then I add it to my portfolio. I'll add it to me. And I've got some good young assistants that coach for me, and we'll work. I'll work on it with them and say, right, I want you to do this for 21 days and see whether it works for you. Uh, it's quite interesting. And they're young coaches that want to get better. So I said, well, you've got to eventually do your own research and development. No question. No question. Yeah. It's, um, not reading it in a, it's not reading in a book. I've read, I've just given 4,000 golf books away. <laughs> I've just given them away. I gave them all away. I had 4,000 golf books. And I thought, well, I've, you know, I've gone through all those and they're all saying basically the same thing. I kept probably 30 of the good stuff and, uh, you know, and I've never written anything myself, and I don't put anything on YouTube. Whatever's gone on YouTube is put on there by other people. So, you know, and it's fine if they want to put that on there, but unless I actually really think it's very, very relevant to everybody, I'll just keep it to myself for a while. But my, my if you like, the exercises that I do, eventually I will put that out because it's 12 very, very important exercises to improve the body movement, to improve the arm and club movement, and to pr- improve the connection between the two. I think that would be fantastic to see those exercises. And, yeah. um, you know, I think I'm way less far along than you, but starting to understand more work. You know, the, my teaching I know has improved as I've really developed my understanding of what certain things in the body do and how to train them. It's helped me. It, to me, it's helped me help more people instead of just oh, a few definitely. that would come. I mean, I think I was always decent at communicating and helping some people, but there were the people like you felt like you did a good job with that just never got any damn better. And, yeah. you know, those were the ones that stressed me. Yeah, you'll always get stressed coaching because you think you've failed, you think you've failed if, if you haven't improved somebody. And I always say, well, there's always, there's always the one that, you know, you, 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 unfortunately, you can't get past a certain level. You know, that's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. And I experienced that when I tried to learn the piano. <laughs> I, I asked a guy who was a piano teacher, I said, right, I want to learn the piano. He said, well, that's good because I want to learn golf. So I said, well, you come along in the summer and I'll give you a few golf lessons. And then in the winter when we're not doing a lot, I'll try and, you know, learn the piano. So he came along in summer, he improved a little bit. And then I went to him in winter and we started with the piano. And after about six piano lessons, he says, I think I'd better pay for my golf lessons. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning I'm useless at playing the piano, so I never got past that certain level, so I gave it up. Do you ever sit back, like, where, you know, knowing what you know now, like, the things that you know, you figured out, and obviously experience just plays a a big part of that. But, like, you look back on a good player you had way back where you're like, I wish I knew what the hell, I wish I knew this stuff now. I think I could have helped him. It was somebody you, you didn't help. Uh, yeah, I think there's a couple of those that were really brilliant. And then they lost the way, not with me, they'd lost the way going searching for perfection. They'd lost the way and then they'd come to me to try and unravel it. And I don't think I unraveled it as well as I could do. So knowing what I know now, I probably would have unraveled it a lot better. What's your advice for professionals out there that get lost? I mean, you know, because there's, I mean, I think we see, it seems like there's plenty of those. I mean, and it's hard for me. I teach a lot of young guys you can prepare them for what they're going to encounter as they become professional and they get their tour card. But there's so many, you know, there's lots of pressures and distractions and they, they change as they go up the ladder. And no matter how you prepare them, it seems like uh, it's difficult at times to keep them from going on that search. 
Uh, they'll always will because when you know, there's always somebody playing well or doing, you know, doing things that you know. Oh God, what's he doing? You know, that instead of having the blinkers on and saying, right, I go to tournaments to actually play good golf. I don't go to tournaments <laughs> to actually learn a new golf swing. So you've got to keep the blinkers on a little bit and um, you know, stop the distractions really. So distractions out there. There's there's always somebody playing really well that week. And so they all, what's he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing? Or what's she doing? What's she doing? What's she doing? And and they'll get distracted and they'll well, try that. The more they try, the further away from where they need to be they get. So they do get distracted very, very easily. So it's very, very important to actually almost say, right, I'm going to a tournament to actually play golf. I'm not going to a tournament to try and learn a golf swing. doesn't work very well, does it? No, it definitely doesn't. But that's what I seem to do. That's what I seem to do with Henrik every every week, learning your golf swing. <laughs> I've seen you every now and then. I'll try to get close to you on the range just to see if I can hear what's going on. But it's always fun to watch. And Pete, thank you so much, one, for taking the time. I know you're busy. You've got tons of uh, important players out there. And uh, also, thank you for the time you took at Augusta and frying my brain a little bit and hopefully down the road i'll have the opportunity in a caddy shack to pick your brain a little bit more about this shoulder structure and see if you can help me out i will do that tony always nice to hear from you thank you so much for listening to this episode of the tour coach with tony ruggiero if you enjoyed this make sure to hit subscribe apple podcast spotify wherever you are listening to this podcast you can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level make sure to subscribe and stay tuned if you want to learn more about tony head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to maybe you want to see him grab a lesson or go to one of his camps pick up his book lessons from the legends you can do that there if you want to see tony in action with some videos and other content head over to golfsciencelab.com slash tony to get more info there this episode was powered by the golf science lab and was edited mixed and produced by just hit published productions we go into year two of the tour coach it wouldn't be possible without the support of all our sponsors and i've had some great ones and one of the things that i'm most proud of in my career and in my business is the fact that all of my relationships here and all these sponsorships have been long time long withstanding relationships haven't jumped from sponsor to sponsor and manufacturer to manufacturer and i've always prided ourselves in special relationships and when people work together support each other And we've all put out great products for the benefits of everybody else. So I want to give a special thanks to these folks that have been with me for such a long time. And that would be the folks at Shrixon, Cleveland Golf, and Zexio. Couldn't ask for a better manufacturer to be aligned with. And not only do they put out great product and great support, but they're first-class people and they believe in what we're doing here on the Tour Coach and with the Dew Sweepers and also Vineyard Vines. Ian, Shep, TJ, and all the folks at Vineyard Vines – Hard to keep me looking good, but they do a fantastic job. And they're like family. They support everything on the Dew Sweepers. And we're so proud to be affiliated with and support the folks at Vineyard Vines. So if you're out there, you're listening to the Tour Coach, please support our sponsors, Strixon Cleveland Golf Zexio, as well as Vineyard Vines. And keep listening and keep enjoying hanging out with us here on the Tour Coach.